the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back, as we do every Monday at this hour, and sometimes when the times demanded a second time during the week. Uh, at least we had that uh, last uh, last fortnight. Brandon J. Weikert joins us as our guest. He is our uh, geopolitical uh, analyst. He is the publisher of the Weikert Report. He is the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. That's his most recent book, which I won't be able to say after the fall because he has a second book coming out, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. Can't come out fast enough, but thankfully it'll be out this year. Brandon Weikert, how are you, sir? I am well, and uh, need we forget the third book that is pending review by the publisher on China's biotechnology sector and how it threatens to destroy all life on the earth. When do we expect that? Well, if, if it's all green-lighted. Well, we are in the negotiation phase. As you know, when money gets involved, that takes a little bit of time. So once they, they determine they want to do it, then hopefully another year, year and a half. Fantastic. Do you have a working title? Um, uh, <laughs> we'll help you with no, it. Not, we'll help you with not it. Not yet. Okay. I have, I have a top... I have a title, but but it's not. Yeah. We, have, we haven't decided on it uh, yet. I got gotcha. you. All right. All right. We'll help you with it, Brandon. You also had a great piece in American Greatness as nuclear war approaches American needs space-based missile defense. I want to get to that. Great. Can, can, I, can I get to that on the second half here, maybe? Yeah, yeah um, your show. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I want to do a little of a thing. <laughs> Yeah, but you're my guest. You're the you're the guest of honor. Um, let me uh, let me start this uh, with just some recent news headlines and and get your take on them. Uh, first of all, there's been a lot of writing and a lot of discussion about China's posture here. Uh, Joe Biden had a what almost two hour call with President uh, Xi Jinping last uh, was it Friday? Uh, the transcript not released. Interestingly enough. Uh, right. And kind of some mixed signals from the media about what China's posture is. Uh, how right. would you assess it, Brandon? Well, China's loving the fact that their two biggest rivals, kind of in Russia's case, definitely in our place, case, um, are bleeding each other dry. And we're just getting started. Um, you know, we're going to apparently go all the way up to nuclear potential war with Russia over Ukraine. And um, that is the Chinese are loving it because that's just more time and energy, limited energy and time that we waste on a a dying Russia as opposed to a rising China. Uh Furthermore, furthermore, uh, Beijing is now coming in, swooping in at the 11th hour and offering to act as a mediator like TR negotiating the end of the Russo-Japanese war, coming off looking like the reasonable powerful, rising, uh, trustworthy, uh, new great power compared to the two squabbling, bickering, old, declining powers of Russia and the United States. Couldn't you rather have the steady hand of China's Communist Party at the international helm rather than uh, sclerotic Russia or chaotic America? And so all of this benefits um, China, which means that 
China wants to continue to take on this sort of ambivalent approach where, on the one hand, they encourage peace and they call for an end to hostilities and they publicly, shockingly, say we respect and believe in Ukraine's right to independence as a sovereign state. And then at the same time, behind behind the scenes, they're basically bankrolling Russia, Mm -hmm. even as Jake Sullivan meets with his counterpart from China in Rome last week and basically, you know, shames and finger wags at the Chinese uh, representative for being far too uh, cozy with uh, with Russia and the Chinese basically shrugging, go, eh, you'd do the same thing, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Not a big deal that they um, that China wouldn't agree to any kind of uh, treaty uh, statement on paper. Uh, or a commitment on paper right now, is there? I, I, I just don't think that this discussion tends to move much of the ball forward. I don't think it matters much that China's not... Well, my, my, my point is China doesn't want this to ever end. Yeah. They want this to keep going. Now, I don't think they like... I, I think that China, more than most, is becoming aware that that Putin is not in a good place, mentally or physically. And because of that, Putin really is entertaining nuclear strikes. Uh, And I think that scares China because they want to keep this thing just below that threshold. They want it to bleed, though. And it also, by the way, forces Russia to become increasingly more dependent on Beijing and less uh, open and amenable with the West, which all works in Beijing's long-term strategic favor. And so, uh, you know, the, the, the Chinese want the conflict to go on slow boil indefinitely. But they are, I think, getting a little worried that Putin himself may be a bit unstable. Okay. All right. We'll circle back to some of the things you floated in that answer because they go to your piece in American Greatness. And I think you you, you know exactly what I meant uh, when you started touching on that. So we'll, we'll, we'll reserve that yeah. for, for, for comment in a little bit here. Uh, Brandon, uh, this hypersonic, this threat of uh, threat, this uh, is, is it propaganda? What do we know about the use of hypersonic missiles? Well, in this case, it's not propaganda. We've confirmed that they, they used a, uh, the equivalent of a cruise missile for hypersonic weapons. Uh, but like most hypersonic weapons, we don't have a viable or active defense against, and we certainly presently don't have any hypersonics in our arsenal of our own. So now there is a strategic gap, and it isn't just this smaller kind of hypersonic missile that the Russians fired at Lviv, Ukraine, the supposedly safe part of Ukraine in the West. Uh, and what were they targeting, by the way? They were targeting uh, purported or suspected NATO weapons depots, which means probably they could have injured, maybe they did, or killed NATO service mm-hmm. members who mm-hmm. were manning those positions. Yeah. And we just haven't been told about it, yeah. um, which now we're talking about escalation directly against NATO. Um, but but what we know is that this, this, these systems, um, we don't have a defense. They're highly destructive. They're very hard to track because they move so fast. Certainly can't defend against presently. And so that creates an imbalance. And as there's a strategic imbalance now that favors Russian forces, you can bet you Russia's going to escalate in that domain because now that they have an advantage that they can exploit and they can make the Americans look bad and they can send a signal to Washington and Brussels saying, hey, if you guys want to keep funding and giving intelligence and giving material aid to the Ukrainian resistors who are slaughtering our, our soldiers, um, we're going to start really ratcheting up things on you, which is why I'm here to tell you uh, I would be very worried if I were every American today over the next two to three weeks about an escalating uh, uh, arc of attack against our critical cyber infrastructure, not just around the world, but specifically here in the United States, because 
when uh, Biden met with Putin last year, stupidly, he handed Putin over a list of 16 potential targets, American targets in cyberspace, that if Russia or any other bad actor attacked, would completely cripple the United States. And Biden said, if you dare to attack us here in these 16 spots, oh boy, we're going to come back at you so hard. But guess what? We've nuked Russia's economy. Ordinary Russian citizens literally are incapable of buying food for their family, and they're getting mad at Mr. Putin. And the only thing Putin cares about other than his life is his power. And so now Putin has nothing left to lose. And so now Putin's remembering that list of 16 targets and going, you know what? The Americans hit me where it really hurts, so I'm going to hit them where it really hurts. And I think in the next couple of weeks, if this conflict keeps going and it keeps drowning out all other news, that Putin's going to hit us at home in cyber, and it's going to be bad. I mean bad. Brandon, um, this this may be a bigger question than we want, but you know, you, you, you give us the contours of the answer however you, you see it. But – if Russia were to launch, I mean, I don't know what the rules of war are anymore. Probably haven't known what the rules of war are for a hundred years. <laughs> but in any event, there, I don't know what the rules of war are anymore. Um, if 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 Russia engages, propels a cyber attack against NATO or NATO countries, or for that matter, as you point out, right here against directly the United States, is that do we count that as as an attack like any other? Do we count that as an act of war against? I mean, triggering Article uh, Five or uh, or against the United States? Somehow, it's not the same. But on the other hand, it is or worse. Yeah. So the fact that we're still asking this after twenty years of having cyber war capability, yeah, should tell you how far behind we are. I will tell you. Uh, and if Colonel McAllister is out there listening, he asked you the same question when I met with him. Uh, about six months ago, and I told him it's kind of scary that you're asking me rather than knowing the answer. <laughs> uh, so if he if he's out there listening, I hope he figured out the answer from his command authority um, because uh, <laughs> we're we're going to get hit very soon at this rate, and it's going to be massive. It's going to be the equivalent of a nuclear strike only in cyber, uh, and uh, it's going to be utterly debilitating to this country. Hold hold uh, the thought. So this is so big yeah. and of such interest to everyone. Obviously, obviously. Uh, goes without saying, Brandon. Let me let me take the quick commercial break and come back to you on on, on the other side with it. Uh, Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. You can uh, uh, follow him on Twitter at we the Brandon. We the Brandon. You can check out his webpage, uh, the Weikert Report. It's free, theweikertreport dot com, and he spells his name W E I C H E R T. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Brandon Weikert. We're both happy to take your calls as well. Six zero two fifty eighty nine sixty. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, coming to you live from the Guns Etc. studios. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest columnist for the Asia Times. American Greatness has a new piece up at America Greatness. We'll talk about that. He has a big think piece over at his own website, the Weikert Report, uh, which I'm going to ask him about on Is Russia Losing? Um, we'll get to that in a minute. I want to stay with you, Brandon, on this cyber attack potential that Russia could launch at either the United States yeah. directly or an ally, uh, or an ally, or a member of NATO, and um, you, you talk about these uh, consequent the, the the disastrous consequences, the the tremendous takedown it would be. What are we looking at? What are we talking about? Are we talking about infrastructure? Are we talking about uh, uh, internet? Are we talking about communications? Are we talking about all of it? Is it like an EMP attack, effectively? Yeah, 
it's it's, a, it's effectively the equivalent of a nuclear or EMC attack, only without any physical direct damage. It's all going to be in the realm of ones, uh, ones, ones and zeros, zeros yeah. and it's going to have the same impact. Um, and um, you know, nobody's really nobody's really clued into this. It's just sort of everybody watching this is sort of remember the assumption was all the people who called me an idiot on a daily basis in Washington uh, were running around saying in February, right up until the day the Russians invaded that, oh, don't don't believe this stuff about Putin. It, it's all a bluff. He's bluffing. He's going to negotiate. He can't possibly do this. And then after he proved them wrong and proved me right, uh, they he everybody of those people were saying, oh, well, he's not going to go beyond eastern Ukraine. I said, no, he's going to keep going because he thinks Biden's weak. And guess what? He's kept going. Mm-hmm. And so now because he's kept going, he's now sort of stuck in the mud. He's still pushing ahead, though. Yeah, he's not losing anything. He's just losing a lot of people and looking bad. But he's still advancing. And if he can't finish this war with a victory in the conventional military realm, then he's going to start popping up to cyber attacks. And in his mind, we've already escalated against him. In his mind, we basically nuked his economy with the economic sanctions. There's no going back. In three weeks, we sent his economy back 30 years. There's no recovering from that anytime soon. And then at the same time, we're arming the Ukrainian resistance, which has killed something like 14,000 Russian troops, including four generals. So in his mind, we've already escalated bigly. And so screw us is what he's thinking. He's going he's gonna to make us pay just like he's going to make the Ukrainians pay and anybody gets in his way. And if he loses, he loses. But he's going to be remembered as the big man who took on America and made us bleed in a way that no enemy really has. And he doesn't care anymore. And by the way, from cyber, he will then escalate into uh, not just uh, space, but he'll escalate then into nuclear as well. And I still think that we are staring down the gun barrel of a nuclear war, however limited, uh, and everybody in Washington is just sort of deluding themselves that this is all a game and that in a couple weeks it'll all come to an end, Putin will lose, and it'll all be okay. And it's not. It's not going to be okay at this point. I'm very concerned about the next few weeks. We'll get to that, too. You keep giving me layers. It's great, Brandon. I appreciate it. It's kind of like uh, trying to have a conversation with uh, Socrates. There are levels and levels well. here. <laughs> no, it's good. I just you, – you, you'll end up differently. You know, you'll, live, you know, you'll, you'll end up different. Uh, Brandon, by the way, not, not percentages or guesstimates as to the certainty that Putin will do this, but what's your guess uh, or percentages that – Putin has the technological ability to do a cyber attack like you describe? We know he does. Okay. We know he does. Okay. Now, the question is, are we able to defend and respond? And my answer is always, it's the same with space. Um, When you are reactive in those two domains, you've already lost the engagement. Mm -hmm. Um, This is not like the Navy. You know, Shamir Scheimer has written extensively, or Stephen Walt, one of the two, about the stopping power of water. You know, basically, because oceans are, you know, they tend to be uh, requiring a lot of technology and time to cross, and it sort of slows the tempo of fighting down. Uh, in cyberspace and in space, things are expedited. Uh, you know, the contact with the enemy becomes an even larger event once contact occurs. So you want to avoid contact, if at all possible. Uh, whereas Putin has abandoned, I think, deterrence and has very much entered into a compellent strategy, which is highly offensive and destabilizing. And the Americans are still playing by the 1960s and 70s Cold War rules. And Putin is a Khrushchev. He's not even Stalin. 
he's, he's probably closer to Stalin in this way, but he is going to go and push and push until he achieves his strategic objective of neutralizing Ukraine and doing it in a way that is so humiliating to Ukraine and the West that the rest of the world finally says, yes, Russia, you are the restored Russian Empire. Mr. Putin has returned you back to your glorious past. Uh, forget about the embarrassment of the Soviet Union. You are back to being a great power. And that's what Putin wants. Brandon, um, let me venture into your long think piece at your website, The Weikert Report. Is Russia losing in Ukraine? Question mark. Don't be so sure. A lot of people are taking, um, I don't know, some kind of reprieve of satisfaction, if you will, uh, the Washington Post had a piece, Russia's war for Ukraine headed towards stalemate, talking about the, the, the kill and injured of Russians at, what, a thousand a day or something like that. The losses Russia is taking as being determinative of Russia not winning this war. I followed your lead on this. I still follow your lead on this. Tell, answer it for us as, as you do in your longer think piece. This, this is, this is, this is peanuts to Russia right now, isn't it? Or at it's least Putin. Peanuts. Oh, by the way, by the way, yeah. on that point, I need to get this parenthetical in because you had mentioned something about it. And I think I'm right. You tell me the notion that Russia or Putin are, is being embarrassed by these losses may right. not be understood or he may not be embarrassed in a vast part, perhaps even the majority of the world. They may not be getting that information. We may be getting it. The West right, may right. be getting it. The entirety right. of Asia, Africa, and the Middle East may know differently or know, think yeah, differently. So especially because okay. we know that China is censoring yeah. that information, yeah. and so much of Asia relies on China's web providers. Right. So, yeah, that's certainly a possibility. That's certainly well. Furthermore, I think it's important to note the. In other words, his embarrassment may not be as great as we think it is. Well, should, and also right. these these countries and these cultures in in Eurasia are used to wars of aggression with tyrants fighting other tyrants, uh, and they're used to a high body count. Right. This is this is an American fixation on oh well, it has to be surgical and it has to be precise and it has to be you know limited and it has to have only a limited amount of people getting killed. Most of the rest of the world, when they fight, it's brutal, it's slow, it's horrendous, and it's and it's and it's just bone crushing. And you know there are no real winners. It's just whoever's left standing. Uh, you know only the dead have seen the end of war. But that's kind of the norm for that part of the world mm -hmm. and for much of human history. It just shows you how unique and amazing in some ways. America is, and we don't even realize how unique and amazing we are, that even our style of war tends to be very alien to the rest of the human race. All right, hold and that thought right okay. there, and let's pick up on, you know, what what impact it's having on Russia. On is Ukraine with, yeah. winning? Is it a stalemate? Uh, well, and, and your long think piece, which is don't be so sure. Yeah, thank you, Brandon. We'll be right back. As we go to break, let me put in a word for our friends at Balance of Nature, sponsors of this show your ability to communicate and learn from the great likes of people like Brandon. I love supporting them not only because they have a great product, but because they support us. They support you. Uh, their fruits and veggies help you maintain, protect, and repair your health, all while boosting your immunity with nothing more than fruits and veggies that you take in capsule form once a day. Once a day. You don't like swallowing a capsule. I have no problem with it. But if you don't like it for whatever reason, easily openable and sprinkleable, sprinkleable on food or in a drink. Balanceofnature.com. Their fruits and veggies. Discount code BALANCE. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. His uh, piece in American Greatness as nuclear war approaches, American needs space-based missile defenses. Brandon, before we hit that, let's go to Rob real quick and surprise who wanted to ask you a question. Go ahead, Rob. Hey, guys. Hi, Brandon. Uh, hey. Boy, enjoy having you on the show. Um, I was, I don't know, I guess I was uh, looking at, uh, I think it was a podcast called Cowboy Logic, and I think Donna Fiducia <laughs> Uh, runs that with her husband. Um, she used to be on Fox a long time ago, and and they had Laura Lara Logan on, and yeah. Lara spent about six or seven minutes talking about how you know all this focus is on Putin, Russia, nuclear, all this stuff, but people keep forgetting just how corrupt, uh, and it's not Zelensky specifically, but how corrupt the Ukrainian government is, and yeah. when we think a little further uh, of the ties that we have certain people whose last names are Biden and Kerry and uh, there's uh, another name or two in there. Um, and, and believe me, I don't believe for one minute that Putin went into Ukraine to try to expose any of this. But right. I think that there's something that's not being covered about uh, Ukraine. And I do admire the people um, I admire those who stand up for their own country, but I also think because of corruption that is rampant and well, <laughs> look well, there country. are there are there are connections that were pretty pregnant with the Bidens in Ukraine in right. the news, <laughs> and they seem to have right. Brandon not been talked about much. What should we make of them? Uh, you talking about the Hunter Biden thing? Well, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden's relationship well, with the Ukraine I, that I goes think, back. I, I think Ukraine was ranked in 2019 as the most corrupt nation in, excuse me, in Europe. Uh, I think that there is an instance that was recounted not long ago to me of how the Yanukovych government, which was the more pro-Russian government before uh, this was back in 2008, 2007, from 2007 to 2010. The Ukrainian government was giving ballistic missile technology that they inherited from the Soviets over to China, which was then folded into China's weaponized space program, which China used to test their anti-satellite system that ended up creating the world's largest debris field. Uh, so I think the Ukrainian government is a corrupt, corrupt thing. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, you know, Putin's gone too far. Um, but but I, I think that, you know, Ukraine has been a windfall for neoliberal Western elites looking to basically, you know, cash in, cash out. And, um, yeah, that's, you know, that is, that, but that's Ukraine. That is what it is. Brandon, on your piece at American Greatness, American Needs Space Space Missile, you make the point very well. Um, not in my words, but roughly, uh, that mutually assured destruction worked for a while because it had built-in assumptions that the respect for life and the abhorrence of nuclear weapons was mutual. And uh, it's in the name, in a sense. That may not be true any longer, and thus we better come to grips with the notion that, yeah, Putin might just, as the phrase goes, go nuclear, and then what do we do, right? Right, right. And so that's where we need space-based missile defense, you know, Star Wars, Strategic Defense Initiative, We've talked about it for 30-plus years, and, of course, Washington has sat on its hands while the enemies of America have caught up with us. And now, in some cases, as we see with hypersonic, as we see with uh, non-strategic nuclear weapons, uh, you know, our enemies like Russia and China are leapfrogging us. 
And so what basically um, the balance of terror is what it used to be called. Uh, when that balance is no more, deterrence is dead. And, uh, you know, you now are living in the age of asymmetrical escalation. Uh, and when the imbalance exists and it favors, as Moscow and Beijing think, it favors them over us. It makes them more likely to attack with these god awful weapons, uh, and less likely to hold, you know, hold back in the eleventh hour as Khrushchev did uh, during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, you know, there was an encounter between Derek Labor, who's a great author. Uh, he was representing, I believe, um, the the Reagan administration uh, during the opening days with the Soviet Union under Gorbachev. He met with uh, VM or VB Milstein, who was a Soviet top. General and Labor basically asked them, hey, you guys in the Soviet Union really think you have a nuclear war winning doctrine? Because, of course, in America, nobody believes anybody can win a nuclear war ever. We've forgotten, obviously, the lesson of World War II. Right. Uh, but, 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 but Putin, uh, this, you point out, did not forget that lesson. Right. Exactly. Which was that we did defeat away. a country with nuclear right. arms. Right. Yeah, right. 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 And, and what, Milstein, what Milstein said to Lieber is, of course, we have a war winning doctrine. What do you think? We have a war losing doctrine? Right. And that sort of captures the Russian mentality. Remember, the Russians, as I say in the other piece at my site, the Russians, the king artillery was them. Katusha rocket, you know, Stalin's organ. That was how they defeated the, the Germans in World War II, but with these rockets and heavy artillery. The, the Soviets created a preemptive nuclear warfare doctrine that they adhered pretty closely to until the uh, Chernobyl crisis. And the only reason they didn't strike out was because they were afraid that the Americans might have been too matched to them nuclear-wise. So they were always looking for advantage, and they could never quite figure it out, which is why it never went nuclear. But had the Russians thought that they had a real strategic advantage over the Americans in nuclear weapons, they would have attacked us preemptively. Absolutely. And so what I'm saying today is that Putin has restored that old V.D. Sokolovsky from the 60s, Soviet preemptive nuclear warfare doctrine of saying, hey, maybe we won't go to ICBMs right away, but we definitely are willing to go to tactical nuclear weapons, the kind of low-yield weapons. Uh, think of what we dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki somewhat. Uh, so, you know, the, the city flat, uh, flatteners, the, the kind of uh, weapons that will be used to soften up, as the Russians used to say, uh, NATO defensive lines to kind of cut through the tanks and, and uh, troops that are arrayed against Russian forces. And the Russians don't care because they love artillery and they look at nukes, particularly those tactical nuclear weapons, Putin especially, as just big artillery pieces. And why wouldn't we use those if war got to that point? And war is getting to that point now. And darn it, we're not going to let the Americans push us around anymore. They've escalated against us first. They nuked our economy. We can't buy bread anymore. So screw them. And that is exactly the logic right now. And this is why I say not only is it cyber, but it's nuclear as well. And it seems to me like public policy malfeasance that we haven't done this already, a space-based missile defense system. You know, I have – I think we have a mutual friend in Brian Kennedy. Uh, I oh, consider yeah. him a friend and, and a pretty good uh, expert on missile defense. You know, I, I have him on from time to time just to remind people that we don't have that. A lot of people just assume we have missile defense, comprehensive yeah. missile a, defense. A lot of people think that we're hiding it and that it's all one big game. But I'm here to tell you the reason that Russia and China and even North Korea and Iran uh, are behaving the way they are is because they're figuring out that for the last 30 years, we've basically bluffed. 
yeah. about our advantages. And now they're calling our bluff at a time when we have never been this weak at week since probably the 1930s and early 40s. Hold it right God there. Hold us. it. Let's pick up on that on our last uh, segment. We have never sure. been this weak. And what would it take? What would it take in broad outline? What would it take? to not be weak anymore, to have what you're talking about, what Brian Kennedy has been talking about, a space-based missile defense system. I'm Seth. We'll be right back with Brandon Weikert with some concluding thoughts. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. One Florida sound to another. Uh, Brandon, uh, thank you for joining us. He is uh, is a columnist at the Asia Times. We're going to talk to you about your piece at American Greatness as nuclear war approaches. America needs space-based missile defense. When we uh, when we come uh, get, get to that in just a moment, you're obviously the author of Winning Space and upcoming book Shadow War. Brandon, uh, so the Russia losses and, you know, the idea – that our enemies look at body bag syndrome the way we do should have been dispensed with, I don't know how many times, how many, how many, how many decades ago? They don't. They don't look at this the way right. we do, and right. it's entirely possible if Putin is worried about embarrassment or shame that you know a majority of the world may not even know about any of this. Right. But you right. Well, take, yeah, go ahead. You go. Yeah. Well, the, the thing that Putin cares more more about than anything is not casualties. It's looking weak. Right. And so if he, if he comes out of Ukraine looking like he lost, then he's going to look weak and he might get overthrown. Um, and the whole thing about, about the stalemate question, as you rightly know, and as I get into great detail in that piece on the WeikertReport.com, uh, you know, you look at World War I, why did the Germans mobilize against uh, France and attack France first before mobilizing against Russia? because they figured Russia takes forever to get their war machine going. Of course, they were proven slightly wrong, but basically that was an assumption that the German high command made based on Russian history, which is that they have a slow, lumbering, plodding war machine that once it gets going, it becomes a juggernaut. But in the beginning, it's very slow, just as what we saw today in Ukraine. Look at World War II. World War II, they sustained 27 million Soviets were killed. 11.8 million of those were Red Army soldiers. Uh, and yet the Soviets still thundered ahead and conquered uh, Nazi Germany. We would not have won the European theater without the, the ridiculous amount of blood that uh, Soviet Union troops uh, spent. Uh, you go to uh, the Soviet-Afghan War. Yeah, the Soviets technically lost the military side of that, but they still affected very significant uh, damage to Afghanistan, so much so that it completely eviscerated whatever infrastructure existed from the old king there that set up for Afghanistan to be a failed state for the next 30 years. Uh, you look at uh, Chechnya uh, in the 90s, they fought brutal wars against Islamists and, and Chechen nationalist insurgents there. Uh, and yeah, again, that, that resulted in a, a political settlement. But guess what? The political settlement was in Moscow's favor. So while they didn't win militarily necessarily, Russia still got what it wanted out of that conflict. And oh, by the way, as a parting gift, they completely leveled the capital city of Grozny, which is what I think they're going to do to Kiev, regardless of whether there's a deal or not. Uh, you look at Georgia in 08. It was a, a barbaric, brutal, uh, uh, imperfect, imprecise war. And yet the Russians still got what they wanted out of it. The same thing is happening today in Ukraine. And they'll sustain a lot of injuries, and they'll sustain a lot of casualties, and they'll lose a lot of equipment, and they'll look like a bunch of goofballs to the rest of America and, and the West. But at the end of the day, Putin's going to get what he wants because he's going to hold out longer. 
and he's going to crush many of those cities, and there's going to be a huge body count, and he may actually go nuclear, and he may actually soon, very soon, I see Biden, as of 51 seconds ago, was commenting about the probability of a cyber attack on America. So there you have it. Uh, he's probably going to attack us on some level. Uh, he doesn't care, because for him, he's got the bit between his teeth, he's like a pit bull. He's got the teeth are chopped down. He is not going to let go until he extracts a pound of flesh and some blood. And that's what he's going to go for. I want to now spend a lot of time on your piece as Russia, uh, excuse me, uh, your piece for American greatness. As nuclear war approaches, America needs space-based missile defense. Before I do that, a quick question before we hit the break. I have a caller for you as well. Quick question. I was just reading a history rendition, a recent history rendition, I think also in the Washington Post, about when Obama was president. And the profile was ostensibly about how much Biden as vice president was arguing to get arms to the Ukrainians and how it was Obama who thwarted that again and again and again and again. Mm -hmm. I thought that was kind of interesting. It turns out my only takeaway is it turns out I don't for all the all the all the praise that President Obama gets. Turns out I don't I don't think there's one thing he did well and all of it is coming to unfold. Feel free to address that or not when we come back. I know we have a lot to do, including calls in your AG piece, nuclear war and space space. We'll be right back. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Brandon Weikert. There's always room for more at 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Brandon J. Weikert, thank you for being generous with your brain and your hour Absolutely. here. You betcha. You Broad outlines, me. what would it take to uh, achieve the kind of uh, protection, the kind of umbrella, if you will, that you're uh, writing about in uh, American Greatness uh, today? What would it take to have a space-based missile defense system? Well, it's, it would have to be part of a larger, more comprehensive national defense system. Um, I would say for the kind of R&D that would undergird it and for all of the sensor systems we would need to track uh, hypersonic and nuclear missiles and for the kind of uh, orbital weapon systems at every level of orbit that we would need, I would like to see a trillion dollars set aside for not just the direct uh, 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 space-based defensive system, but for the, the, the laser component for also any kind of artificial intelligence that would be needed to better manage the thing. Uh, quantum computing for for greater computing power for that AI managing that that system. I, I would love to see just like a, a, a basically an Apollo or Manhattan project for space. How and, long would it know, take include, to accomplish this? Assuming you got every dollar you wanted. Rudimentary, I think an early rudimentary version. We could probably with tech that we've already got, we could probably get there in two years. That's what Brian that says. He says that's exactly and what Brian says. He said it would not take that long. Me, yeah. What kills me? It's about will, not it's, ability, right? It's about will, and so my problem is now it's, it might even be too late because I'm talking two weeks. We're probably going to be seeing some kind of massive strike against America. Biden literally just said it in the last hour to expect a major cyber attack on the United States. Uh, I think it will escalate from there into space-directed attacks, directed at our satellites, possibly at the International Space Station. And I think beyond that, it will also end up probably going nuclear at some point, whether it's in Ukraine, Europe, or in the United States. It's not going to be pretty. We're talking in the next few weeks. So 
I don't even know, when I submitted the article, I told them, I said, I don't even know if this is relevant anymore because we've sat on our hands for 30 darn years. Now, if we can get through this period, then I think it's a wake-up call, and we say, absolutely, now we have to throw the money and the resources to doing it because we avoided something big. But if we can't avoid it, it's, you know, God help us. Create a committee of one million or something to get us all signed up for it, Brandon. I mean, you know, nothing could be more, more urgent. Well, no one could be uh, more smart or helpful in their analysis than you, Brandon. As I say, there's no substitute for brains, brother. I really appreciate you. Well, thank you so much, and I enjoy being here every month. It makes Monday something to look forward to. Ah, that's sweet of you. Thank you, Brandon. Brandon J. Weikert, folks. Uh, You can follow him on Twitter at WeTheBrandon. You can follow his work at American Greatness or Asia Times. You can go to his website, The Weikert. Report, theweikertreport.com, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. Godspeed, Brandon. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.